Uh, oh, sorry, if you will, turn your Bibles to our uh, passage in Exodus. We are in Exodus 17, 1 through 11, that Ryan just read. And let's pray. Almighty and loving Father, we ask that you would come and visit us today in the preaching and hearing of your word. Speak to us today that we may recognize your presence among us and your steadfast love for those who you call your own. This we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, who live and reign with you forever and ever. Amen. Well, have you... Um, have you ever had a test that uh, frustrated you, made you short on patience? Maybe, it, maybe it's a, like a, an exam in school, or maybe it's a general trial in life, one of those kinds of tests. Have you experienced having this test repeated? And as this test is repeated, what was your situation with your patience then? Did your patience grow longer, or did your patience grow shorter? In my case, I would say most of the time my patience simply shrinks. We are in our third week of our Lenten series called We Confess. Now, the first week we talked about we confess that we, do, we want what we do not need. <clears throat> and last week we confessed that we desire to be comfortable. Today we confess that our memory is short. Because we are prone to impatience in times of testing or trial, this reveals our lack of trust in God's goodness, we need to be reminded of the gospel to restore our faith. Our memories are short, but how does this reveal the issues of our heart? When things are good, our memories are short. When things are bad, in times of trial, our memories can be even shorter. This is what we see in this account of the Israelites as they're traveling through the desert in the wilderness. First, we forget his provision. Let's look in beginning in verse uh, 1, and I think I'm doing 1 and 2. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Now if this were their first test, if this were their first encounter, these doubts and some, some being, being aggravated might be a little more understandable, but this is not their first experience where they needed God to provide for them, where they couldn't produce what they needed on their own. They were, if you'll remember, this is, they're just barely into the desert journey, which is going to last like, what, 40 years? But they're, this is within three months at this point. But if you'll remember, they were pinned down against Pharaoh's army and the, and the Red Sea. And then the Lord told Moses, take your staff, strike the sea, the sea split, the Hebrews were able to travel across the sea on dry ground. So God miraculously provided a way where there was no way. 
And then uh, we're going to jump to 15, chapter 15. And they traveled a three days from the Red Sea. And they came to a place called Mara. And they called it Mara because the water was bitter. They landed there and they, they, they couldn't drink. They couldn't drink the water. Their livestock couldn't drink the water. It, they were in a bad way. They cried out to the Lord. They, they cried out to Moses. Moses cries out to the Lord. And miraculously, God provides a log that needs to be thrown into the water. Throw this log into the water. And now the water is sweet to drink. And so they did. And they were able to drink. Then about 45 days out into this journey, they're in the desert. And they came to... Um, the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And the whole assembly grumbled or complained against Moses again. And this time it was about being hungry. So they thought that they would have been, at this, at this time, and this is where you, when you're reading these things, you're like, this is kind of humorous in that they've been brought to this place. It had no water. You travel on a little bit. Now they have no food. And so their complaint was, it would have been better for us to just been left in Egypt. We might have died, but at least we could eat. And I think this is funny because this is kind of how short-sighted sometimes we are. If, 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 if they didn't represent us so well, then we might be able to say, that's ridiculous. Except, you're like, that's like me. If I could just eat, I, oh yeah, I might die, but why did you bring me out here? Well... That's when the Lord provided manna. They were able to gather and eat, and they gave them stipulations on how to gather the manna. But the Lord gave them manna. Now, that's, that's in chapter 16. Now we're in 17, and we're still somewhere less than three months out. Uh, this is from, from the time they left the Red Sea. So they crossed, and they were there, but then they left, and they're about three months out from that. And they're traveling yet again. They're on the move, and they're traveling south in this wilderness of sin, and they're moving closer to Sinai. Later, it talks about them coming to Sinai, which appeared to be a very short trip. So apparently they're coming closer to Sinai, and, and that's where they are now. But it's not they didn't choose to camp at Rephidim. This is by the, God, this is by the Lord's choosing. The Lord is directing their steps, and the Lord directed them to camp in this place. He led them to a place where there is no water. And this scene is very similar to that in chapter 15, where there was uh, a test where they had no water or the water was there could not be uh, drunk. So he's bringing them now to this place where there is no water. And this is where he has told them to camp. So this is yet another test for Israel's faith, <clears throat> one that's not easily passed. This would be a challenge. And we, without water, and they got like livestock with them, they've got lots of people. So they need water and they need a lot of water. And we know that if, if we, as humans, don't drink for three days, then you know, you're pretty well toast. We need water. Water is vital to our life. And so the Lord has provided, their, provided for them so far, brought them to this place where there is no water. This is a test. There, there may be a better translation where, we, where our text says, therefore the people quarreled with Moses, so said, give us water to drink, and then Moses said, then why do you quarrel with me? It might be better to say that, uh, why do you protest against me? Or the people protested against Moses, why do, why do you protest against me? In the sense that the quarreling seems to indicate a back and forth. And from the text, it doesn't appear that there's much back and forth. It seems like it's one way. The people 
or whining to Moses. And this testing God is, I think, a pretty key element here. Testing God is demanding or expecting God to act to do something special for you, which you may not deserve. Testing God is rooted in doubt. It's rooted in doubt of whether your current circumstances is what you deserve or whether God did a good enough job in providing for you. Could, it, could, could the Lord done, have done a better job in his provision? In any way, this, this testing of God is rooted in doubt. It's as if these people didn't remember passing through the sea. It's as if they didn't remember him sustaining them through the plagues. The Passover, the splitting of the sea, the deliverance from their enemies, the provision of water and food when they needed it that we just talked about. They'd forgotten this, it seems. So when, when we are thrust into a trial, do we let our current circumstances overwhelm us, or do we look back to consider God's provision in other times and recall his faithfulness? The Lord is always faithful. He may not provide what we want, but he provides what we need. Without considering his past provision, we are prone to forget to be patient. Verse 3 says, this is 3 and 4, But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why, do you, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now this is the third account, at least, that we're aware of, of Moses dealing with a bunch of whining people. Now they may have been conditioned in these previous uh, episodes or these pre previous tests to go right to the whining instead of waiting. In doing so, by going directly to the whining, they refuse to wait on God to supply their need. They bypass that step. They just jumped to, hey, why'd you bring us out here to, ha to have us die? Well, they weren't the only ones. That, that forgot to be patient. Moses also forgot to be patient. Moses didn't, he didn't minister to them. He didn't try to redirect their thoughts. He didn't try to uh, calm them down. He, didn't encourage, he did not encourage them to wait on the Lord. As their leader, this could have been a grand opportunity for him to do this. But I think his circumstances let uh, him be overwhelmed where the people are whining and all he wants to do is, is quiet them down. So I think he too may have been conditioned by these previous uh, episodes, these previous tests, where he knew that ultimately if he went to the Lord, the Lord would give him some sort of answer. But he, I think, failed in his duty, and then therefore he also showed a lack of uh, trust in the Lord's provision and overall sovereign hand at the, at, in, in their lives. This, I think, is 
uh, really key because, now he, and granted, he really may have been scared that they were going to stone him to death. He's going to be stoned for simply doing his job. He's doing his job. He's leading them as the Lord has told them, told him, and then they want to stone him because there is no water. And so there's, there's a legitimacy to his fear, but there's also a, uh, what a, a tragedy in his failure to lead. And this is not just an opinion here um, of mine. The, the Lord has ordered their steps, and so there has to be some recognition that, okay, this is not by mistake that we're here. That one, of my one of my commentaries says that this rebellion is remembered in Scripture not only as Israel's, but also Moses' and Aaron's. So this is a rebellion as the scriptures remember it. And, he, and the, common, the, the commentary gives me all kinds of scriptural references to, to recognize that at this place there was a rebellion of Israel, but it's a rebellion also of Aaron and Moses because Aaron and Moses didn't, didn't lead. Aaron and Moses may have been conditioned by their previous times and jumped to um, just trying to take care of the whining people. They just, want, they just wanted the whining to stop. Now, you, uh, you people as parents, you may also want to take the, short, the, the shortest route possible sometimes in order to just make the whining, disobedient children be quiet. And I can relate to that. In fact, I'd say that's probably where I live most of my life. But Moses failed to lead and instruct his people. So don't you fall into the same trap. And I, and I recognize that at times the pressure can get to be awfully big when the, when the whining is, is, is screeching in your ears and all you're wanting to do is just you know, make it stop. But I think the challenge here is to help our children, or you know, that's me to you, you would be my whining people, you're my whining children. Do I just make the whining stop or do I take the opportunity to instruct you in the Lord? Do I take the opportunity to share with you what the Lord's word says so that you can see the Lord's provision for us in the past? This is what I think you need to do with your children as well. Take, allow some time. Let, you know, get, get the screeching to stop so that they can hear you, but then speak into their lives and remind them where the Lord has provided for them. Give them Time so that we can wait for the Lord to provide in this situation. I think, you know, this is something that we need to do as parents for our children, but then it's something we need to do also. And I don't think this is easy, but it's good. Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So when we are tested, we need patience to see what the Lord has in store for us in that time. We need patience to be able to remember God's former provision so that we don't feel like we're left alone and isolated here in this specific circumstance. On our own, we forget his provision. On our own, we forget to be patient. And we also forget 
his presence. Verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. So Moses here is instructed to go out in front of the people. Now it, it has been said that as a shepherd would lead sheep, that you don't lead, and I, I'm not a shepherd. Uh, Jonathan, if you'll remember, Jonathan was our, our pastor in, at the river. The river is the one that sent us uh, here. And Jonathan came and visited back in last June. He was preaching along one day, and it, something about a shepherd came up. And, and now he and I had hung out a good, I mean, like a, a, a long time. I thought I knew him well. This is totally surprising to me as he's preaching along, and, and he's, he's from Pittsburgh. So, like, I, I think I know about this boy. But what he says, something about shepherd comes up, and he says, and when I was a shepherd in Israel, and then he just went ahead and told this story about being a shepherd in Israel. It just blew my mind. I, and and I, I think of that frequently. You're like, okay, didn't know you were a shepherd in Israel. Never would have guessed that one. I didn't hear this from him, heard this from somebody else or read it somewhere about when you're leading sheep as a shepherd, it's my understanding that you would not necessarily be out in front of them, but you're kind of in the pack with them. And so this is advice for pastors that you just aren't out in to like totally out in front, but you're moving with your people, the sheep you can imagine kind of around, but some are in front of, the, might be near the front of the pack, but not, out in, not totally out in front of the pack. Well, in this case, this is not the um, gentle leading of sheep heading all in the same direction. This is get out in front. And out in front has been this angel of the Lord. The, they were led by a pillar of cloud by the day, pillar of uh, fire by night. And this was the thing that was out in front of them. That, that being the angel of the Lord, this is the thing that was out in front of them, and this is what they were to go toward. Well, at this point, Moses is instructed to lead this people from out in front. I think it's taking on that authority which you have been given. So I, I think there are times for leading from way out in front. I think there are also times for being among the people as a shepherd. He's told to get out in front and take the um, elders of Israel so that they can witness this miracle. So this wouldn't be some sleight of hand kind of thing happening. This is going to be the Lord providing for them in a miraculous way, in a way that doesn't make sense to anybody, and the elders will be there to give witness to it. And then they used to take that staff in his hand, which is the, the staff represents the power of the Lord. Come to verse 6. It says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? This is the testing of the Lord. Now, again, perhaps doubts of some sort would be natural. But this is outrageous. This is, an, this is an affront to God's goodness, that they would doubt God's presence among them. Imagine mothers 
if you will, or whoever it is that's doing the cooking in your house, that the kitchen is abuzz with activity, preparing the evening meal. In comes the spouse and says, are we going to have supper tonight? How might you receive that if you're the one preparing the food? Well, you would be insulted. It's obvious we're going to have supper tonight, and I'm working behind in off here to make sure it's happening. Why are you coming in here asking me this? Well, this is more than that. I, and I do think that's an insult. And husbands or whatever, spouses that are not cooking, I would suggest don't do that. <laughs> that's, that's, that would be some good marriage advice. But this shows the level of unbelief of the Israelites. Moses is instructed to strike this rock at Horeb. The Lord's presence in that form of the cloud will be uh, on the rock. And when he strikes it, water's going to come forth, and people will drink. Now, it is God who led them to this place where there was no water. It is God who is not surprised that they didn't have water. It is God who is not surprised that he has a way where there was no way. He wants them to exercise their faith and trust in him when they can't see what he sees. He wants to do the same thing for us. God wasn't surprised in chapter 15 when the water was bitter. God wasn't surprised at their lack of food in chapter 16. Here, he's not surprised at their lack of water. He miraculously supplied their need when they were desperate and could not produce what they needed, and they desperately needed this, and they could not produce it in and of themselves. Well, everyone, everyone has the same kind of testing going on in us. All the, all, the, all the people of the earth, so everybody you know, has what some have called the call of Eden. Uh, it's this calling of home. Augustine um, had, had said part of this that is in our collect today. Our collect for the day says, Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This call of Eden is something that we, we want something that can, we cannot find this rest that we're looking for. We look in all kinds of directions. When, when, when your children are acting up, when they are, when they are acting out, when they become teens and they get into the things that they shouldn't, when people are into the, what, what we in society recognize as really bad stuff, this is really salt. Everybody's seeking this thing to fill this God-shaped hole in our heart, which is the way it's been described. But that's this call of Eden. We want to go home. We recognize, like, is this all there is? And you can have an unbelieving co-worker, and, and this is, they think this. They may not put words to it. But this is what stirs in us, because they too have a calling to go home. And it's like, if this is all there is, then why am I so ultimately unhappy? 
What we want is to enjoy God's presence as we were designed to do. And we don't know that until he wakes us up and shows us this and gives us a foretaste of what is to come where we will be together with him forever. But in the process, we're looking for something that we cannot provide on our own. We are like the Israelites looking for this water. We are like the woman at the well looking for water. God was not surprised, though. Where he wasn't surprised in 15, 16, and now 17, he's not surprised at our situation either. He's not surprised that we find ourselves yearning for home. And our God has provided a pathway, a bridge to get back home to him. So that this call of Eden, this echo of Eden, may be answered. He's the one who made that work where we could not in and of ourselves create a way to get back to him. And through God becoming flesh, taking on our flesh, dying upon the cross in our place to take our sin, rising from the dead three days later to overcome death, hell, and the grave, he then has made a way to come to him. 1 Corinthians 10 says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, and then I jump into three, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So for those who believed, who received this instruction, who had faith and believed that the Lord would provide for them, what they were feeding on was Christ. What we feed on is Christ. Jesus says that he is the living water. Are you thirsty? Are you tired? Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our God has made a way where there is no way. We give him thanks and acknowledge and confess that our memories are short. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray.